We have a little one this morning that would like to go to Children's Church. Miss Kim is ready to serve us uh, in that capacity. And while they're doing that, let me encourage you to take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Last week we began a series entitled I Am. And in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus makes uh, several I Am statements with uh, uh, declarations about who He is and His purpose for coming and our spiritual need. Now before we dive into that, let me just say a word of thanks to you. Uh, you are a wonderful congregation. And how do I know that? Uh, because uh, our, our brother Micah has been ill now, Ill now for uh, going on about two and a half weeks, and you have blessed him with prayers. Many of you have dropped off food. Uh, you volunteered to watch his kids. He was telling me yesterday just how much his church has loved on him. And so thank you for being a light to him. Uh, just a, by way of update, he received an epidural on Friday, uh, and he's still kind of in that window of did it work or did it not. And so he's hoping to know uh, that very soon. So continue to pray uh, for him because he is tired of laying on the floor in his house, all right? And his wife is tired of him laying on the floor uh, in his house. But y'all continue to pray uh, for Micah. John chapter 8. Now we find ourselves in the middle of this I am series. And I'll just quickly, I, I gave them to you last week, but since it was the first week, I, I want to show them to you again. I'll give them to you on the screen this morning. Jesus makes seven I am statements about himself in the book of John. He's declaring himself. Now, just by way of understanding the Bible, we have four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all four are written by an eyewitness or someone who spoke to an eyewitness. And they are different angles, but the same story of God, of Jesus revealing himself. And John, particularly his bent, if you will, his angle of reporting Jesus is to make sure we understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. John is, is declaring to us that this is God. And in fact, he would do this through these statements in John 6, 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Today in our passage, verse 8 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In 10.6, he says, I am the door of the sheep, or the gate of the sheep, if you will. In 10.11, I am the good shepherd. And then he'll go on to say in 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, in John 15.1, he says, I am the true Vine, And in all of those statements, what Jesus is doing is he's further revealing himself to us as God, but he's also showing us a different reason why we need him. Another spiritual hunger, if you will, I am the bread of life, a, a reason why our soul needs Christ. And in fact, last week when he says, I am the bread of life, he's reminding us that our soul, the very thing that we long for, the nourishment that we need, comes from him. Well, today in John chapter 8, verse 12, he declares, I am the light of the world. And he is making this statement to say that you must find me, you must follow me if you are to make sense of the world, of eternity, of God, of heaven, of everything. He is to be the light in which we find all truth, all knowledge, all understanding. He is the one that will beckon us out of darkness into salvation. This is what it means when he says, I am the light. And so this morning I want to read to you starting in verse 12 through verse 24. The conversation that he has goes all the way through verse 30, but we will see the gist of it by looking at the first few verses there. John chapter 8, verse 12. 
Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, and I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Verse 17. In your law it was written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know him, my father, also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not come. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? I ask you now, Lord, again, we just ask you to help us. Help us see the truth of your word. Lord, what we just read is your word. It is true. It is right. It is sufficient. It is all that we need for life and for eternal life. So, Lord, even as we read these words off this page of this book we hold in our hand, we are reminded, Father, that this is the living word of God. That heaven itself is speaking to us this morning. And so, Father, I pray you would help us. Help us, Father, to open our ears and, Father, our eyes that we would see you again. That we would be moved by the glorious presence of your Spirit and your Word would teach us. Lord God, I pray this morning. I pray for the one who, Father, they limped in today. They find themselves beat down, broken, hurt. Life is has thrown them in the throes, Father, I just pray that they would see again that Jesus is the light and that following Jesus is good and profitable and worth it. And that, Father, there is coming a day where you will deliver us home and death will be no more. And all of the pain and suffering and sorrow and sickness and darkness of this world, Father, it will be vanquished. Lord God, I pray as we, as we read your word that the one who's struggling, would, their eyes would be lifted, their hearts would be stirred. Father, I pray for the one who walks in this morning and, and they're not right with you, whether it be sin in their life, whether it be just lostness, Father, I pray that, that they would see the light of Christ and they would come running. That, Lord, you would meet them in their need and you would, you would bring them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Father, encourage your church this morning by your word. Lift us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning, we will center on verse 12. It is the verse where Jesus makes this proclamation, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. You'll have goodness. He, he says this, this proclamation, and then he gives a promise with it. So I want you to see three truths from the text this morning that will help us understand Jesus declaring, I am the light. First, I want you to see Jesus' grand assertion. 
I want you to see this, this declaration that he makes. I want you to understand what he's doing when he declares, I am the light of the world. That this is a, a bold statement for him to make. This is a shocking statement for his listeners. The Bible would tell us there in verse 20 that he is teaching in the treasury. Now, this is also known in the Temple Mount as the women, the court of women, excuse me. When you got to the Temple Mount in Jewish world, up on the mountain of Jerusalem, there in the center of the city, the temple of God was built with layers and courtyards and walls. And, and the first courtyard would be the courtyard of the Gentiles, where everyone was allowed to pass through. And then the, the next courtyard would be the one of women, where, where the ladies and the Jews would gather together, and there would be great festivals and feasts in this courtyard. And then, and then you would go further and further in until you got to the Holy of Holies, the place where the priests would make the sacrifice. And so in this, in this treasury, and the reason why it was called the treasury is there were these multiple places for you to give your offering or your alms, and each one of the places had a different designation of offering. And so Jesus is sitting in this courtyard where Jewish people would gather, and he begins to teach them. And I want you to notice what he says. First, he says, I am. Now, this is a startling statement to the crowd. In this crowd, there are his disciples, those who have decided that he is the Messiah, the Christ, and they are following him. In this crowd, there are those that are curious. They are coming around. Maybe he's fed them bread. Maybe they heard about him walking on water. Maybe they saw him raise a, a dead girl from the grave, and so they, they've come to hear more. They're curious, if you will. In this crowd, there's just the person who happened to be there that day. Some of us have been in those moments where we just happened to be there that day. And then in this crowd, there is the Pharisees. Now, these are the Jewish leaders, those who are plotting against Jesus, those who see Jesus as taking the religion a different direction, those who threaten their authority and their ability to control and rule over the people and dictate what is right and what is wrong. And so they have a different agenda. So when Jesus sits in this courtyard with this crowd made up of all of these different people who've come to hear him, and he says, I am, you can just feel the ripple effects move through the courtyard. I imagine that when he declares, I am the light of the world, a hush falls over. There are some, there are some who will grab rocks and wish to stone him on the spot. There are some who will worship him and declare, finally, the Christ has revealed himself. There are some who will say, who is this crazy man? They are listening to this. They are wondering. And Jesus, make no bones about it, he is making sure to be clear that he is calling himself in this grand assertion, God. He is saying, I am God. Now, how do we know this? Because the Bible would tell us in the book of Exodus that God called Moses to deliver the children out of captivity. In fact, the children of Israel are in captivity. They've been in captivity for 400 years. They're slaves to Egypt. If you don't know the story, you can find it in the book of Exodus. But the nation of Israel had gone down into Egypt because of a famine. And while they were there, years passed, and Pharaoh took them in as slaves. And so they were living as foreigners in Egypt, and they were enslaved, and they wanted to get out. But they had no army. They had no soldiers. They had no chariots. They had no horses. They were simply controlled by the nation of Egypt. And then God found Moses, a shepherd, and he called him by the burning bush and he said, Moses, I want you to go down there. I've heard my people's prayers and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let them go and I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. Moses has a dialogue with God. Certainly he's scared. Certainly he's timid. He gives all kinds of excuses. And then one of the excuses that Moses makes was, Lord, if I go down there, and I walk into the, the Israelite campsite, and I stand among your people, the Jewish people, and I say, I'm here to rescue you. Who should I tell them sent me? Whose mission am I on? 
What ambassador am I? Who am I representing? And God says these words to him in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now that can be translated simply, I will be who I will be. You know why we can't really translate that? Because you can't put God in a definition. You can't say who he is. You can't declare him based on our feeble words. There's no definition that will contain the goodness and the glory of God. But God says, you tell them, I am has sent you. Literally, the one, the God, the only one, the heavenly one. So when Jesus stands up in the temple and he says, I am the light of the world, he is beckoning, hearkening, if you will, all the way back to when God told Moses, go get the nation out of captivity. So he's looking at the Jewish people and he's saying, I am that same God. Now, brothers and sisters, for you and for me, this is good. But for the setting of the Jewish court, this was war. This was a declaration of I am the Messiah, the promised one, the deliverer. You're with me or you're against me. I'm either telling the truth or I'm a lunatic that should be run out of town. This is a line in the sand. In fact, this will be the very thing they crucify him on, declaring he's being blasphemous, calling himself God in the flesh. But Jesus says, I am he. Just to make my point, take your eyes and scan down to verse 58 of this same chapter. In verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now notice the very next verse so you can understand the hostility. So they picked up stones to throw at him. He is making sure we understand that when he walks in the scene, he's making this grand proclamation, I am God, But I want you to notice something else about this proclamation, about this uh, grand uh, uh, declaring, this promise, this, this declaration that he is God, this announcement that he makes. Notice the word that he uses, I am the light of the world. Now he's calling himself God by using the moniker I am, but he's also calling himself God by declaring he is the light of the world. Now what do we mean by this? If you were to look at chapter 7 of John, you'll notice there in the first couple of verses that the setting is the festival of tabernacle or booths. Now let me give you just a quick history lesson so you'll understand what this means. When Moses went down to Egypt in Exodus and got the nation of Israel out of slavery and began to walk them towards the promised land, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. They struggled with obedience and so God had to punish them and discipline them and lead them for 40 years in the wilderness. And while they lived for 40 years in the wilderness, they literally had to stop and make a camp. And they would make a camp by setting up temporary tents or booths, if you will. And in the middle of the camp would be the tabernacle, the tent of God, the dwelling of God. And so they traveled for 40 years as a band of migrants, if you will, throughout the desert, a wilderness, wandering around, relying on God. Now, what would happen is, by the time of Jesus, they would have, once they entered into the promised land, they would be given this authority and this religious ritual to celebrate that time. 
Just like Passover was celebrated for when they were delivered out of Egypt, the tabernacle feast or the feast of booths was to be reminded of how God took care of them in the wilderness. So literally now, stay with me, literally now, when this time would happen, they would get out of their homes and they would build themselves tents and sleep in the tents next to their homes to remind themselves of how God led the people during the wilderness. But here's the point I want to make and listen carefully because this is a beautiful thing. What they would do during the Feast of Tabernacle or Booths is in the court of women, in that outer court where all the traffic would be gathered and moving, they would have four candelabra stands. They would be gigantic, large stands with a a ladder to climb to the top, and on the top of the stand would be a bowl full of oil. And at night, they would light the bowls of oil and this flame would erupt out of the middle of the temple of Israel and it would light up the whole temple and it would light up half of Israel, half of Jerusalem because of this giant flame blowing up. And the flame was to represent that God was with the people in the Old Testament. In fact, let me give it to you in Exodus 13, 21. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire that they may light they may travel by day and by night so get the picture now in the temple while Jesus is teaching I am the light during the night before they would have these four huge candles burning bright torches blazing in the night And they were to celebrate the fact that God the light had led the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament. So they were literally celebrating that God is the light. Now, now do you get it? Jesus, after, after them having this festival all night long of dancing and singing, Jesus. Jesus stands up while the smoke is still coming off the oil that had burned all night. Jesus in the middle of the temple where they've been celebrating that God is their light, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light. Now get it, don't miss it. He says, you you remember in the Old Testament where our forefathers followed the Shekinah glory of God, the light of God, the presence of God. You remember that the Shekinah glory guided them all through the time of wilderness. And we gather here to celebrate that light. And then Jesus stands up and says, that very Shekinah glory that led them in the Old Testament is standing in front of you now. I am the light of the world. He is declaring to them, I've come so that you won't be in darkness. Just as I led them, I've come to lead you. But here's the difference now. Here's the difference. God led them temporarily through a cloud and a fire. But with Christ, we are led eternally. But with Christ, we have this life. So he's declaring to them, I am he. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing that Jesus does. This grand assertion that he is the light of the world, that he has come, that as the smoke waft off of those towers, he's declaring, I am the light of the world. Think about what Jesus is doing. He's drawing a line in the sand. Brothers and sisters, it's the same line in the sand that you and I face and that the lost world around us face. Jesus is either God or he is not. And if he is God, then everything he has said must be believed and followed and trusted, and he is the way. If he's not God, then he's a liar or a lunatic. But the proof and the testimony and the glory and the resurrection declares he is neither a liar nor a lunatic. He is God. And so now, if he declares, I am the light, 
I am he, then we have no choice but to follow him. We have nowhere else to look but to follow him. We have nowhere else to go but to seek him as the Shekinah glory of God, the the presence of God, the light of God for us. And so Jesus is very clearly drawing a line in the sand. And he says, I am the light of the world. Just to be clear, light all through the Old Testament is representative of God. The prophets were told in Isaiah, Isaiah would say, oh, Jacob, follow the light of God. And in Psalm 27, 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold and my light. Whom shall I be afraid? He is what guides us. We celebrate the fact that he is the light for us. And so what is Jesus doing? He's making an assertion. He's making a statement. He's making a a line in the sand. Jesus is God. Now I want you to notice a second truth from the text. Not only is Jesus making a grand assertion, but he's given us a great assurance. Look at verse 12 again. You might say, well, well, okay, we have Jesus as the light. We see that he is God. Apart from him, we cannot know the world. We cannot know of eternity. We cannot know of where God is leading us. He is a light alone. And so, so what good is it that he showed up? Why does it matter that he came? Why does it matter that his presence is with us? Well, notice verse 12, what he does. Not only does he make this great claim, not only does he make this great statement, but he gives with it a great promise. He gives with it great assurance. Look what he says in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. There it is. There's the the declaration. But here's why it matters. Notice what he says in the second part. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now we see. Now we see, brothers and sisters, that God didn't just show up to prove he's the light. He showed up in order to guide his children out of the darkness. God didn't show up just to flex his light muscle and to show us that who he is and what he can do. God actually showed up because he loves us and he wants to care for us and he wants to save us and he wants to redeem us. God showed up because he loves you and he cares about you. God showed up because he wants you to follow him. Brothers and sisters, God is not a God who just flexes his light in order that we might see it and then pass by. God is a God who puts his light on us in order that we might be blessed, in order that he might redeem us and that we might follow him. Look what he says. He says, all who follow me will not walk in darkness. Now, what does it mean to follow God? Well, Barclay helps us here by giving us kind of four ideas of what this idea of follow means. There's a couple of things we might think of. One, we might say to follow God is a picture of a soldier. A soldier following his captain. Wherever the captain commands, he goes. Wherever the battle may lead, wherever the march may head, whatever the thing may, whatever thing may be in front of them, the captain declares it and the soldier follows. So to follow God means to be ready to go to warfare. It means to listen to his command and follow him. Maybe it's not just a soldier, but it's also a bondservant. To follow God is a picture of a slave, one who says, this is my master and I will do whatever he needs. I'm at his beck and call. Whatever joy I can bring to him, I will serve him. This is the call of the Christian to follow Christ. Maybe to follow Christ is the picture of one seeking wise counsel. When you need advice, you seek advice. You find those who might can help you and aid you. And once you receive that advice, you follow that advice. And when you don't follow that advice, well... You're a child and your parents laugh at you for not listening, right? And this is the idea. It may be when he says follow Jesus, he means like a soldier into war, we hear his command. Like a bondservant who serves his master, we are at his beck and call. Like one who seeks wise counsel, we listen to his ways. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 119? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I want your wisdom to guide me and lead me. Maybe, maybe it's about advice or maybe... It's a picture of just following the law and the statutes. 
When we say follow God, maybe we mean a soldier who listens to command. Maybe we need a bondservant who is there for his master. Maybe we mean one who's heard good counsel and sticks to his ways. Or maybe simply it's one who knows the statutes and the rules and obey him. Listen to me now. I want to give you a clear definition of what it means to follow Jesus. Read his word and do what it says. In fact, Jesus' half-brother James, who had heard Jesus speak over and over and over and over, writes in his letter in James, he says this words, For a man to know what's right in his heart and not to do it to him, it is a sin. The idea here is simply this, to follow Jesus is to obey him, to do what he's called us to do. What does that mean? Well, Jesus would sum it up for us in the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God. Love him with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, with all your mind, with everything that you are, with all of your being. Love God in every decision, in every relationship, in every place, in every purpose, in every time, in every encounter. Love the Lord Jesus. And then what is the second one? Love people. Love others. Love the very imago Dei, those that have been created by God. Love those that are walking in His image. It didn't say love some people. Love those people or that person. It says love your neighbor. Love everyone. Love them because God loves them. How do I know God loves them? Because God came for them. I am the light of the world. This is the picture of following Jesus. You might say, well, pastor, I'm working on this. I'm I'm going in this way. Listen, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm not the brightest bulb in the box. My, My elevator don't always go to the top. But I know one thing. If the Bible says it, try to do it. Follow the Lord Jesus. Do what he says. In fact, he would tell us through the Apostle Paul, we are no longer to walk in darkness, but to walk in good works, worthy of the calling that we've been given. We are to walk and follow Jesus. Now I want to give you an example of how that. Take your Bibles with me. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 118. Numbers chapter 9. That's in the Old Testament. If you start at the beginning of your Bible, you'll find Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It starts with an N, it ends with an S, Numbers. It is called the book of Numbers because if you ever read it, you realize they count a lot in the book of Numbers. They're constantly taking a census, they're constantly counting. But in Numbers chapter 9, I want to take you back to the Feast of Tabernacles. I want to take you back to where they're celebrating it. In fact, in Numbers chapter 9 and starting in verse 15, we find the story of God leading the people through the cloud of fire. I just want to read it to you, and then I want to make the application of how you're to follow Christ. Numbers chapter 9, verse 15. On that day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And at the, excuse me, and at the evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, over the people of Israel set out. And in that place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Verse 20. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes, verse 21, the cloud remained from evening until morning, and then the cloud lifted in the morning, and they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. 
whether it was two days or a month or longer time, that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there. The people of Israel remained in the camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. As the command of the Lord, they camped, and they commanded of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. Can you get the repetitive nature of what they're doing? Okay, so they've got the tabernacle, which is the place where God dwelled when they were in the desert. And in the daytime, there is this obvious cloud of the presence of God over the tabernacle. And at nighttime, the cloud would be fire, because you can't see a cloud at night. So it would be a fire, it would be a pillar of fire. And if the cloud moved, they knew it was time, pack up the tent, get under the cloud. And if the cloud stayed, they stayed. They didn't go without the cloud. And if the cloud moved, they went. Brothers and sisters, how do you follow Jesus? You go where he is, you do what he says, and if he's not moving, don't move. If he hasn't said it, don't do it. But if he has said it, then consider the cloud move and run after it. This is, this is the picture of following Jesus. If he moves, move. If he's not, don't. You might say, well, pastor, that seems kind of mystical. I mean, seriously, I would really like for him to have a burning torch over my step so I know which way to walk. Can I, can I, can I, I mean, how, how, have, Lord, give me a sign, right? Give me a sign. We've, we've prayed this. Lord, give me a sign. I'm putting the fleece out. Give me a sign. Brothers and sisters, I believe wholeheartedly that our God is personal, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will communicate to your heart in a personal way. But can I tell you something? He's given you 66 books of a sign. He's given you his constant word. You don't have to ask God if you should love your neighbor. That cloud's moved. You don't have to ask God if you should serve your wife. That cloud's moved. You don't have to ask God if she should give an offering, join a church, witness to your neighbor, be a good citizen. That cloud's moved. Follow it. You don't have to ask God whether you should uh, commit adultery or become a drunkard or get angry and sin. Why? Because the cloud ain't moved on those topics. It's still there. That's still his rules. And so he tells us, this is how you follow God. This is how you seek the light of the world. Where Jesus is, go. Where he stays, stop. Ephesians 5, 8, walk as children of the light. I want you to notice the last part of this promise. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, of life, excuse me, the light of life. Now, I want you to notice that. Man, that's good. When you walk with Jesus in his light, you are promised life. That means the opposite of the sphere of death. That means vitality. That means blessing and richness with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are promised life. Some of you are not walking with Jesus and therefore, you are seeing things die around you. You are seeing things struggle around you. There's not vitality in your spiritual life because you're not following Jesus. Follow Jesus and there will be life. Like the plant that needs the sun, the soul needs Christ. Follow Jesus. And there's life. There's life in Jesus. This is the beauty of him being the light. And let us just add this. How foolish would it be not to follow the light? I mean, can we all testify to stumping our toe in the darkness? I've found every trailer hutch on every farm I've ever visited. I've seen them. If you've got kids, you know the deadly attack of Legos at two in the morning. It's a terrible thing. Those are weapons that some toy manufacturer designed. 
I, I, have, I have walked with my children in the dark thinking I was going to lay them in bed without waking them up only to trip over every stuffed animal God ever let us buy. Falling, crashing, booming. Now my children won't wake up, but let me tell you this. You put them in the bed and go crack open the cookie bag and them jokers will jump out of the resurrection. We know what it's like to stumble in the darkness. But listen to what Jesus says. I'm the light. Follow me. He's, how foolish would it be for Jesus to say, I'm, I'm torching you a path. Why would you go the other way? Why would you walk in darkness? Why would you stumble and fall into destruction? Darkness only leads to pain and death and stumbling. He says, follow me. Now let me close with this last part because it is grim. Jesus gives a grim assessment. You see, there will be many that won't follow him. In fact, we, we won't read it all, but in verses 13 through 24, they begin to question Jesus. They say, how can you tell us this? How can you do this? In fact, in verse 14, or verse 13, they say, how can you give testimony about yourself? In the Jewish system, they had to have two witnesses, and you were not necessarily allowed to testify about yourself because obviously self-testimony is prejudice. So we need cooperating evidence here. How can you testify about this? You're, you're not following. And what does Jesus say in verse 14? Even if I was testifying myself, it'd be right. I'm always right. I don't, I don't hold. He said, you judge by the flesh. I don't hold by your standards. You can't contain me. I am. But I want you to notice what he says. He says in verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In fact, in this whole passage, he will say the Father who sent me about five times. He will confirm that I have a witness. It's God. He was there when John baptized me and said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. He was there when I raised the dead. He was there when I walked on the water. He was there when I made the storm stop. Only God could do those things. The Father is giving testimony to me. But I want you to notice verse 21 because here's where we'll close. He says in verse 21, So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. I want you to notice a couple of words there, and we'll be done. Here, here's what I want you to see. First, he says, you will die in your sins. The word sin there is singular. He says, you will die in your sin. Here's what he simply means. He means unbelief. He's looking at the Jewish leaders, and he's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the light of the world. I am he. I have come. I am God to you. I am the one that will lead you out of darkness into light. I will transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I am the way in which you must come. I am the truth. I am the one you must follow. I am the Savior. He's declaring all of that in front of them. He showed them by miracle and by word that he's able to do what he said he will do. And yet they will reject him. And here is the crux, brothers and sisters. God will forgive every sin you commit except one except one it's singular the sin of disbelief if you choose to see Jesus Christ and his testimony and say to yourself I don't need that I'm not following that I will do my own thing I will stumble in my own darkness notice what Jesus says you will die in your sins. But notice even more what he says. Where I'm going, you won't get there. You can't come. 
The only way to walk into eternity, to make your way into heaven, is to follow the light of Christ. The only way to go into the glorious kingdom is to be beckoned by the tower of light that is Jesus, standing on the shore declaring, come to me all you are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So he says, you will not come. You will die in your sin. Oh, brothers and sisters. For those of us that are believers and we know Jesus Christ, this is a verse of rejoicing because that's who we used to be. Before Christ found us, before Christ saved us, before his light shined on us, that's who he used to be. We were headed in darkness to death and separated from him. But then the Spirit of God fell on us and the testimony of Christ became true to us. And we confess that he is the light of life and we give our soul over to him and declare we will follow him. And then he is declaring to us, I've come down from heaven and those who are with me, I will take you with me. You're going to get to go. And so we read that verse and we celebrate, yes, I'm not going to be lost forever. God has saved me. Oh, but brothers and sisters, let us in the moment of celebration read it with sobriety. If you don't know Jesus, you will die in your sins. And here's the worst part of this passage. He's literally talking to the people who are lighting torches in religious celebration, thinking They are walking with God. Thinking they are on the right path. Oh, what a sobering reminder for us that our traditions and our religions and our candle lighting will not save us. It is Christ and Christ alone. We must follow Christ. In fact, John would tell us in John 1 this very story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was nothing made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that that might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone, is coming to the world. Now listen to this. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But let's close with this last verse. But to all who did receive him, to all who did find the light, to all who did walk in the glorious torch of our Lord Jesus Christ, and believed in his name, have the right to become children of God. Blessed be the light of our Lord. Would you pray with me, Father? We thank you that you are the light that has come to shine in our soul and save us. That it is not our works, our religion, or our rituals that save us. It is the fact that you came. You came in all of the glory of the Father. You came. And you shined your light on our sin and our darkness. And and Father, we thank you that by the power of your Spirit, through repentance and faith, we believe. And you have received us and you've called us your children. And we are forgiven. And your light will lead us all the way to heaven that it, that it glows now for the eternal kingdom. And Father, thank you that your light will never leave us. And so, Father, we just praise you. We thank you. Lord, I pray now for the one that's here that, that they know you 
They know you're their Savior. They know you're their Lord. But Lord, uh, they're stumbling right now in some darkness. They find themselves not following you. They find themselves not, not camping under your cloud. And so, Lord, I pray right now for the brother or sister in Christ that's sitting in this room that knows they are in disobedience, they're in sin, they're, they're going the wrong way, they're stumbling in the darkness. Lord, would you convict their heart? Would they find themselves back under your torch, Lord? Would they, would they find themselves walking the right way? We don't want to be people that are disobedient, Father. We thank you that you promised to forgive us and not leave us. Lord, I pray for the one in this room that that they don't open your word, they don't study it, they don't read it, they don't know where you're leading, they don't know what you want. Lord, give them a zeal to follow you. Give them the seal to, to make sure they're always camped under the cloud. And Father, I pray right now for the one who's here that if they died at this moment, they would die in their sin and not go where Christ is. Spirit, would you fall on their heart? Lord, would they hear the words of John 1.12? For as many as believed in him and have received him, they have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Brother or sister, listen to me now. Salvation is coming to Jesus and declaring he alone is the light of God. He alone is the way of salvation. He alone. Stop walking in your own way. Stop stumbling in your darkness. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Let today be the day of salvation. Father, I pray now as we stand and sing, you would lead us to obey you through prayer, through song. Lord, we even know people that need to hear your word. We know people that are in darkness and need the light. Give us a zeal to tell people about the, the great watchtower of Christ that shines. The lighthouse, Father. God, we pray that you would bless us now as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? You come if you need to.